Hello and welcome to the latest episode of NC Talks, the podcast by NeuroCentral. My name is Rachel Jenkins, I'm Publishing Manager at Future Science Group and I'm delighted today to be joined by Professor Jan Hillert. Jan is Professor and Senior Physician at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden and today we'll be discussing the challenges faced for people living with multiple sclerosis related to pregnancy and pregnancy outcomes and how their recent study could help to overcome some of these challenges. To kick things off, Jan, please could you introduce yourself and tell our listeners a bit about your research background and current research interests? Yes, certainly, Rachel. So um, I'm a professor of neurology at the Karolinska in Stockholm, and I'm a a senior consultant in neurology. I've been specializing on seeing MS patients for the past 30 years. Um, I'm also known for having started and chairing the Swedish MS registry, uh, which collects clinical data on MS patients. Uh, It's used nationwide and we have big numbers and we can do lots of interesting and relevant research using this registry. Um, So um, therefore my focus in research these days is uh, is within the, the area of real world evidence research. And this means that we try to answer questions on the natural course of MS. Um, One of the key uh, things to be researched, of course, is how we best use disease-modifying treatments, how we get the best efficacy, uh, how they compare with each other, and not least what the safety is for these treatments. And that also includes pregnancy safety in 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 the context of pregnancies. Amazing, thank you. So to give some background on the topic, how do clinicians currently treat pregnant patients with multiple sclerosis? So, of course, MS is a disease which uh, affects more women than men, and it typically starts in the reproductive age. And this means that, that, that patients, female patients with MS, need to have some some way to deal with their MS during pregnancies. Um, And even though pregnancies do reduce the risk of relapse a bit, um, there is still for many patients an important need of of reducing the risk of relapse during during, uh, pregnancies. And therefore we need to to find ways to do that. Um, The problem is that once a drug is is approved for treatment of MS. Uh, Typically, no pregnant uh, patients have been in the the, uh, randomized controlled trial. So we have no idea, uh, or at least no data, whether it's it's, uh, potentially harmful or not. And therefore, we need to reduce the exposure uh, of the disease-modifying treatments to in our patients um, until we know better yeah, and, and since um, you're not then, of course, assumed to become pregnant while on treatment, there will be uh, very sparse data. Uh, and people even that get pregnant probably will not necessarily report the, uh, their exposure. Um, so therefore, we need more information. And one of the ways to do that is by using registries. So you've touched on this briefly now, but what would you say the major challenges face for people living with MS related to pregnancy and pregnancy outcomes? 
But the challenge is to balance the need of, of disease modification with the safety of the fetus and child. And that is a delicate balance that, that needs to be, to be managed somehow. And therefore we need the data. Your recent study focused on pregnancy outcomes after interferon beta exposure among people living with MS. Could you briefly introduce our listeners to the work and summarize the main findings? Certainly. Um, <clears throat> before I do that, though, it's important to, to realize that even though we've had interferon beta for MS for 25 years, um, we haven't really know how, how to deal with it. And the reason was that in the beginning, we had the idea from animal studies and from some clinical experience that maybe there was a risk of spontaneous abortions in people on interferon beta. Um, interferon beta is a very, uh, what we call a pleiotrophic uh, substance. Uh, it exists in the body, has multiple functions in, in many physiological systems. So we don't really know what happens if we give you know, more of it. Um, and therefore it was reasonable to be careful. And then there have been some studies, but we haven't really had studies of really good quality. And that's why where this study comes in. So this study was then requested by the European Medicines Agency. Um, because there was a need of data. And the study was based on the national registries uh, or national registries in, in Sweden and Finland. Uh, and these were not MS registries. These were medical and administrative registries of, of various kinds, including um, disease events, the prescription of, 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 of pharma, for, of course, also. And I come back to why that is important. What we did here was that we looked for the frequency of serious adverse pregnancy outcomes. So serious adverse pregnancy outcomes included the termination of pregnancies due to fetal anomaly, also major congenital anomaly, uh, live births or stillbirths. And of course, um, we were able to control for a number of, of factors, including age of mothers, uh, number of previous pregnancies, treatments, etc., in order to know that what we looked for was actually the effect of interferon beta exposure. And the, the big benefit of this study was that we could compare pregnancies on interferon beta, exposed, exposed to interferon beta, to pregnancies without exposure. And that is unique to this study. In total, we looked at 2008, over 2,800 pregnancies in over 1,900 women. And this included almost 800 pregnancies with interferon beta exposure and um, 1,600 plus pregnancies without exposure. So these were big numbers. And the overall outcome was that we didn't find any sign of an increased prevalence of any adverse pregnancy outcome. Overall, the rate was 2.2% in the exposed pregnancies, but higher 4% in the unexposed pregnancies. The difference, however, was no, <clears throat> not significant, but, but clearly no difference. And if you go to the certain types of adverse outcome, we didn't see anything further uh, at all. So, for the congenital abnormalities, we had 1.8% uh, 
in the live births of the exposed and 3.3 among those not exposed. For spontaneous abortion, there was no difference for ectopic pregnancies, elective termination, we didn't see anything. And the stillbirth risk was, was also the same, 0.3% in the exposed and 0.6% in the unexposed. And we did a number of, of additional adjusted statistical analyses and they also failed to, to show any difference. So very clearly, there was no increased risk of any worse pregnancy outcome, which was really good to see. How does this study differ from previous studies investigating interferon beta in pregnancy? I know that you mentioned that it's unique due to the ability to compare mm. the pregnancies. So do you want to expand on that? I mean, th that of course is, is obvious that you need to compare with something. Of course, you can compare to what you know about the risks of adverse events in the general population, but it's always better to have a comparable group. And, and of course, we have been collecting or everyone has been collecting information on pregnancies, but unless you do it on, on, on interferon beta for many years, but unless you do it in a systematic way where you know that you collect equally well for the, for the exposed and non-exposed pregnancies, only then can you really tell whether there is a difference. So that indeed is a very big benefit. And the other big advantage lies in the same thing, and that is what we refer to as a population-based study. If we include all the cases in two populations as here, then we know that they are representative at least of the situation in those countries, evidently. And that is also a big, a big advantage. There are of course some limitations to these studies. Um, for instance, spontaneous abortions, only those that require hospitalization will be recorded. Um, the exposure data, I mean, whether people are on drug or not, is based on pharmacy data, and we can't be certain that people have actually been on or taken the medication only because they've been to the pharmacy collecting their drug. Uh, but it's an it's a, it's a acceptable approximation, of course. This is in many ways, the optimal study to study something which is not supposed to happen, like pregnancy exposed to disease-modifying treatments. Of course. So overall, what would you say this study means for clinicians and people who are pregnant and living with MS? You know, how can interferon beta help to overcome the challenges that have been mentioned in this podcast? Well, since we know that interferon beta does reduce relapse rate, does reduce the risk of disability, it's of course of, of, of great benefit to be able to use it when needed. Um, the study was, as I said before, requested by the EMA, European Medicines Agency, and this also led to a change in the label with the EMA on interferon beta in MS. So now you are allowed to use it when needed. And that is indeed a big, a big advantage. So broadening it out a little bit, how do you hope MS treatment for pregnant patients will evolve in the clinic over the next five years? A very good question, I think. Um, I mean, this is, a, I think, a, a significant step. And we need more data on pregnancies for the other disease-modifying treatments. We have an increasing body of evidence showing that the earlier you get on treatment, the longer time on treatment, uh, the more efficacious treatment you have, the better for our MS patients in the long term. 
So uh, to be able to provide an efficient way of controlling uh, the inflammation of multiple sclerosis over the course of disease, the, the better. So I hope, indeed hope, and I expect there to be other studies for the other disease-modifying treatments. So most importantly, that we get data also for the second-line treatments. Um, so that, that, that's what I hope and what I expect to, to get to come years. And that, there, this study, I think, is, is a very nice first step in showing how this could be done to, to get such data, which is critically needed. Thank you. So that was the final question. Do you have any closing comments that you'd like to make? I would like to thank everyone who listens to this, and, and I hope that we'll be back with, with more information in the future on, on similar studies. This is an important clinical and everyday problem for, for our patients with multiple sclerosis. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this morning, Jan. It was great to hear about the latest work being done in the investigation of interferon beta use for pregnancy. And thank you to our listeners. And if you're interested in listening to more podcasts from NeuroCentral, you can visit us at www.neuro-central.com. <laughs>